0: Good evening, church. It is time for us to begin tonight. Um, We're going to turn to Hebrews 12 in a moment and go to God in a word of prayer. Let's pray together, please. Great God, we love you, thank you, and praise you, we ask, that you'll open our minds and our hearts to gain a clear understanding of your word and help us to grow. Please guide us and guard us, lead us, and direct us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee for it be that will. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, a very familiar passage. Tonight we're talking about um, fixing our minds on our target, okay? Still positive mental attitude, right? And how do we stay focused uh, and focusing our mind on our target? And the thing that throws us off, there's a lot of things about shooting. I'm not talking about shooting. In general, but distractions often become our issue in life, right? Distractions that keep us off of our focus and keep us away from our focus on God. And I, I wanted to think about uh, just for a moment about little things, you know, little distractions that throw us off in a really, really big way. Um, little things like uh, if you go out and you're i would pick on Jerry. You're playing golf, and there are like all kinds of mosquitoes, you know, stinging you. I mean, all over and over again, it kind of throws your game off a little bit. Um, it's, it's a little thing, but it makes a big difference. Uh, not Jerry's game, but my game. It throws my game off, though. Uh, what about a pebble in your shoe? You know, you have that, right? Especially now it's rock season, <laughs> right? Snow's going away, rock's still out there. It is distracting. It is distracting. It is distracting. So you've got to make a decision to either stop what you're doing and get that pebble out of your shoe or just march on. But if you march on, it, it does something. It changes the experience of whatever you're doing. So just keeping our focus and keeping our, our minds on our targets and being sure to remove the things that we can remove. There are some things that we might not have the ability to remove at that moment or in that hour, but there are other things that we can remove Uh, small things, even big things from our lives. So Hebrews 12 I want us to look at, again, think about focus Uh, verse 1 says therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside the uh, every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. That's the idea of that putting away or putting aside the stuff that you don't need. Right? Not just spring cleaning or or, you know, what, just put aside the things that aren't really that important. There are a lot of things that are important in our lives, but some things just aren't that important. Mostly, if you think about the material, a lot of things just aren't important. Not that important. They're not important enough to, to cause a fight or not important enough to uh, create a distraction in my life to, to refocus my mind uh, or to get my mind off of the focus of Jesus. Right? So, the next verse, verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So what did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He kept his eyes focused on the Father. Right? And then Hebrews 12 tells us in verse 2 to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Right? And so that is the, the way that we should live our lives marching forward in Christ. Thinking about keeping a control over the mind. Keeping my mind on my target. So, what is, our, what is our ultimate goal? We know that. It's heaven, right? That's the goal. So that's the target. The target is keep my mind focused on heaven, on Jesus, on God, and God things. That is the target. That's where the focus has to be. And that's where Satan tries to distract us, to make us look, instead of vertically, causing us to look parallel and look at our neighbors, look at What they have, look at what's going on over here, what's going over there, et cetera, et cetera. And it gets our minds off of the ultimate good and goal, and that is on God. So, first thing I want to think about, we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3. Spiritual goals. All of my life growing up, well, maybe not all of my life, but as I grew into uh, maturity, uh, and I started to learn about Life and business and money and all those things. They would always talk about having a goal, having a, um, a target. And in order to have, reach that target, you make those little steps and you make adjustments along the way. And that way you're shooting for your ultimate good and your ultimate goal. And you keep focusing on that particular target or on that goal in order to achieve success. And that, that can be pretty, pretty cumbersome. What about our spiritual life? do we have spiritual goals? I mean, the ultimate goal, again, we know that, right? Get into heaven. We got that. We go, okay, I want to go to heaven when I leave this earth. We got that. But how are you going to get there? Right? What, what little steps can you make now to keep you focused, to keep you, like when we're driving a car, we make small adjustments on the steering wheel. What am I doing now in my life that's causing me to go back to those Those things, those smaller things that are ultimately bringing me to my bigger things, to my my goal. Do I have a goal in a spiritual way besides going to heaven? And that's the challenge for Christians. You have to have spiritual goals, church. You know, we have goals for everything else. Proverbs tells us that in chapter 27. It says, without a vision, the people perish, right? Without a vision, without a goal, you can't achieve it. You have to have a goal. You have to have, okay, this year, not a resolution right? That's, you know, January 1st. Not, not a resolution, a goal, right? Like, what am I going to do this year? This year, I'm going to, what? What is that? Read the Bible four times? Uh, read the Bible through once, and then go back over it again, and pick out certain points, and then act upon those points? Uh, am I going to increase my prayer life this this year, Lord willing, I'm going to, God willing, this, this, my spiritual goal at this moment is I need, I need more focus. So I'm going to pray. Um, like we used to work out in um, and when doing, a, a, you know, one of those workouts when you, you watch television. and every commercial, you get down and you alternate push-ups until the commercials are over. And then you, your show comes back on. And then when your next commercial comes on, you do sit-ups until the show starts again. And then when the next commercial comes, you know, bodybuilders or whatever, but you, you do it through the whole, sh- the whole movie or whatever episode or whatever it is you're watching, you know, because I have a goal, I want to get well, I could do that, but what kind of spiritual goals do I have? Every, every morning I'm going to say a prayer, when I get out of the bed and then before I get into my vehicle and then when I get to work and then, am I, I mean, what, what, what things, what things are, am I focused on throughout my day because it is my goal. Every day, my goal not to sin. Well, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to keep myself from sinning, right? I I need to have little goals to help me to achieve my ultimate good, right? We don't just fall into it. We have to work at it, right? Okay, we have to work at it. So 1 John 3 and verse 4, it gives us the understanding of what sin is. Again, tonight we're talking about the target. Uh, And it says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is Lawlessness. And the idea there is sin is missing the mark. You miss the mark. So what causes me to miss the mark? Maybe I'm not looking. Maybe there's some kind of distraction. I mean, there could be a lot of things that would cause me to miss the mark. Maybe I'm just not very good at aiming. And so I need more practice at uh, keeping my focus and not allowing myself to miss the mark. And so what spiritual goals have I set? And then do I, in written, you know, written out? that I can look at and analyze, adjust, increase, or decrease, maybe it's too big right now. You know, maybe the, the carrot, if you will, dangling out there, it, I mean, it's, it's advertising enough, and it's appetizing enough, but it's, it's too far away. I need to move it closer. Whatever I need to do to accomplish my spiritual goal for the day. And then my spiritual goal is something that I can, I can check. I can check at the end of the day. I can look back and say, all right, here's what I was supposed to do that I achieved, that I accomplished, my goal, whatever that goal was. Right? My goal not to sin. And then if I do sin, stop immediately and do what? Pray and make it right with God. Regardless of who's around or what's going on, I want to stop, make it right with God, make it right with the individuals, whatever needs to be done. Is that one of my goals? Again, our goals get us where we're trying to go to, and that is to try to go to heaven. So I want to talk tonight, uh, that kind of being our intro um, getting rid of the, the stuff that are distractors in our lives and I want to talk about James and then I want to look at an example, James chapter 1 and maybe you have an example uh, maybe you have a goal, maybe you have something that you want to share with the group maybe you have a way that you have found that helps you in your personal walk with Jesus to um, fight against sin in your life, right? Your struggles are different from my struggles and my struggles are different from your struggles, your temptations are different from my temptations, and my temptations are different from yours and then somewhere in there we kind of cross, you know, we cross right, then we have the same stuff and then eventually we again have our own, James talks about that in chapter 1 and and verse 13, so I want to give you one thing, and I'm going to start at verse 17, I'm going backwards because the first thing is keeping life in perspective helps me Right, keeping it in the proper perspective. As I look around every day, whether it be on the news or in our community or, or even within you, see a lot of bad stuff. Right, where does that stuff come from? So I keep it in perspective. I know where it doesn't come from. So when I know where it doesn't come from, it helps me to keep my focus. Okay, James one seventeen. Um, it says, <clears throat> "Excuse me, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from." Above, coming from, down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So I can always focus my mind and say, okay, I know where that bad did not come from. Right? I know where it didn't come from. And so knowing that, it can help me to keep my focus on God. So then there's no reason for me to become angry at God or frustrated at God or I hear people say that to me often. I'm so angry at God. I go, why are you angry with God? Now tell me why. I will give me a great example. A great answer I mean great in their own minds right it makes no sense when they finish talking I go that makes no sense well you know God, if God hadn't brought this into my life but you but you let me give you a good one well you know I don't know I if you know if God hadn't brought him into my life I wouldn't have all these troubles and that's why I want to divorce him and then I remind them oh yeah wait a minute you picked him <laughs> you chose him right you can't blame God now right Remember when you went through, you know, anyway, I mean, it's just kind of interesting. We find a justification for blaming God to take away some of the pain, pressure, or whatever it may be on ourselves. So I go to James 1.17 in my mind. I think about every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift comes from God. So I tell myself, and I know all the bad stuff comes from two places. Me and my choices. I can own that one, right? And, and the forces of evil. Those, those, that's not God, that's me and the force of God. I made mean, a bad choice, a bad decision. And some things just kind of are a part of life. They just happen, right? I mean, it's not necessarily good or evil, but the things that are considered evil, they didn't come from God. right? And so I remind myself of this over and over and over again. Number two, in James 1, I remember that <clears throat> it is not a sin to be tempted. Right? Um it's it's not a sin it's just okay i'm struggling with this all right so so the temptation that's a desire in my heart where did that come from if it's evil where did it come from me all right god doesn't tempt us with evil so i know it has to come from me uh, it comes from the four evil forces around i'm i'm jumping all the way back to verse uh 13 let no one say when he is tempted i am being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted by evil And he himself does not tempt anyone. How many times have you heard people say, oh, God's tempting me? Right? And then how many times have you heard heard people say, God is testing me, but contextually they mean God is tempting me? Right? You know, it's a way of blaming God again, putting it all on God. God does not tempt us with evil, and God does not do evil. So, therefore, I know that's got to come from two places. Uh, It could just be a matter of life and just happen. But definitely if it's a temptation with evil, it comes from me or from the forces of evil that exist around me, other people, situations and things. So I know it's not God. I have to clear that up in my mind, right? Remind myself over and over and over again, it's not God, it's not God, it's not God, right? So I want to keep my focus. I want to stay focused on my target, whatever that, that target is, that, that goal that I'm trying to achieve. And it's all really come together when we look at an Old Testament passage in just a second. Uh, Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by, and we go back to the exact same thing again, his own lust. Can I blame someone else? Nope. I mean, I can try. And there may be a a healthy party to what happened. But who who did it come from? Me. (laughs) It's in me. It's my own. And that's why it says own. It's very personal. It's my own lust. It's me, it's my I have to own that I and I, As a Christian, as a child of God We have to learn to own the stuff that belongs to me Right, meaning you can own my stuff if you want to But I wouldn't Own your stuff, right I own what belongs to me This is me Why'd you do that? Well, because, you know, you grew up saying Well, because you think of a lie, right We're not, we're not supposed to lie So own it, right It's me, it's all me It's all me Why did I say that? Because I wanted to and I wanted you to hurt when I said it, because I wanted to win, right? Who gets into an argument and doesn't try to win, right? I mean, we're, we, we don't go in there and go, okay, you win this time. You know, no, we go into this to win, right? That's, it's just a part of us. So I'm going to own it and say, okay, I recognize it's me. Now, can I change my desire? Verse 13 and 14 says, it doesn't come from God, it comes from me. Can I in the moment, and I see you shaking your head, thank you, can I in the moment or even prior to it, change my desire? You better believe it, right? So, so what do we do then? We get to the fork in the road, and what should we do when we get to the fork? Do you run the stoplight? Just run through it and say, okay, here I am, I'm already sitting. Or do we stop and focus for just a moment? You have to stop and focus, right? I don't have to do this. I don't have to go through. I don't have to act on every emotion, do I? How many people are murdered because of the emotion? Pull the gun and pull the trigger. If they could take it back, they'd take it back time and time again, right? It's an emotion. You know, I hurt someone. It's an emotion. I I got angry driving my car and someone cut me off and I got really, really angry. It's an emotion, right? We have to learn how to own that emotion, and then you have to learn how to gain control of it quickly. Right? And that's, maybe that's different for each one of us. But the point of the matter in verse thir- uh, 14 is, I'm carried away and enticed by my own. By my own temptation. My own desires. At this moment, if you ever, you ever said this before, if one more person does this to me, right? and you've heard that said before, and then I lash out um, unjustly because this time, it was truly innocent, and, but it was just, I was at the end of my, I was at the end of the road or the end of my, the straw, or whatever we say, you know, I was at the very end. I couldn't take any more. And so we lash out on, usually who do we lash out on? The ones who we love. Right? Have a bad day at work, go home, forget to take off the work hat, get into the house, we're carrying an attitude, our spouses are saying, hey, is everything okay? You know, why are you treating me this way? If you don't turn that off, right? We have bad relationships, so we have to know how how to how do we stop? Remember the pebble in the shoe. How do we stop and fix this problem? And that's the first question: Do I even stop to fix the problem of me? Right? I gotta own it. It's me. I have to. I have to say, okay, wait. I don't have to carry this attitude on. I don't have to. Continue with this anger. Um, Yes, I'm very stressed and I'm very angry, but can I control that? What do you think? Of course. The Bible says we can, right? The Bible says be angry, but what? There you go, but do not sin. So I know I can control it because God told me to. If God said be angry because it's, you know, once you get angry, you got to control and I'll excuse it, then I know, okay, we have a reason, you know, an excuse, but God doesn't say that. Be angry, but sin. Not and so again, I know it's not God, I know it's me, I know it's the force of evil, uh, and I can own it and I have to own it, right? And I know it comes from the force of evil. All right, next, the next thought, and then I want to go to my example, two, two more verses. So here's the part where the sin is, right? In verse 15, then when lust is conceived, uh, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So it's the sin that brings forth the death, not the temptation. Right? Not the fact that I'm struggling with this. So you may meet people who are struggling with, with certain uh, uh, mindsets and, and issues and, and whatever the temptations are. That's not a sin. The right? sin is a carrying through with that action, whatever that action is. And so it really isn't as large of a burden as it may seem like it is, but it's not as large of a burden if I set goals and I fine-tune them and I make small adjustments throughout my day. So here's the next question. Um, is it possible for us to go a day without sinning? I love a quiet room. What was that answer? Of course it is. You have to stay focused, don't you? You got to stay focused. You gotta start. So, you, so you do things every day to fine-tune your Christian relationship with God, right? Every day, now every day, we're, we're, every day you fine tune it. Every day you work. Every day you work at it. You work so hard at it. And so, what I like to think about it is, I try to think about, instead of thinking about not sinning, it's like when I used to be in, uh, in sales, and we, we learned some um, things like when you come home, when your spouse comes home, so we had wife training or husband training, the opposite, you know, the salesman. So, the salesman or the saleswoman comes home from a really long day. What's the one question you don't ask? Did you make a sale? Right? That's instinctive. Of course, they're going to do everything within their power to make a sale. So instead, we taught our, you know, reps to ask have, have their wives or husbands, ask the question, did you have fun? Did you have fun in your presentation? Oh, I had a great time. What happened? Well, yeah, I went in there and they tell you the story, Right? And then later on, they'll get to whether they made a sale or not. But it's a, the it's a way sometimes we ask a question. So asking ourselves a question today, instead of saying, all right, Tony, are you going to sin today? Well, that probably isn't a, the right question. But maybe the other question is, are you going to work hard at putting a smile on God's face today? God has emotions, right? What if I can put a smile on God's face? You know, that's pretty motivating. That's very motivating. Okay, all right, all right. So this happens. I'm no, I'm not giving to that because I want God to smile today. You know, i want to put a smile on God. I've already put enough frowns on His face, but today I want to just today I want to put a smile on God's face, and so my focus then and my whole mindset becomes this this mindset of cheerfulness and happiness, uh, and I, you know, to the best of my ability, I'm focusing not on myself, but I'm focusing on whom, on God. And that's what Hebrews 12 says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, you see. Can I put a smile on, on God's face? I don't know, it works for me. It helps. Does it, I mean, do I still sin? Of course. But I'm saying that at least that's a focus, and that helps for me. So what is your focus for your everyday living? What is your, what is your ultimate goal throughout the day? We know the ultimate goal is heaven. But what is your goal, and what helps you to stay away from or even to walk away? From I remember going to school and they'd say, it takes a bigger man to walk away from a fight. You know, what is, what is your good? What makes you walk away from that fight as opposed to staying in it, right? So the answer tonight, um, part of the answer, should I say, I don't want to say the answer, if, Ooh, I've arrived, but part of the answer is willpower, right? Can you will yourself to do things that you ought to do? You can, can you? I mean, it takes some serious thought, though, doesn't it? To will yourself, it's like uh, uh, you think about um, most 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 sporting uh, athletes. You think about it, it's just it's like ninety percent mental and ten percent you know bronze, if you will, muscle and strength. You gotta get your mind wrapped around what you're doing, right? And and so and so willpower. So how do I find the ability to transfer my will, which probably isn't the right thing, to to God's will, right? So I. I this is what I really want but like Jesus and, uh, Luke, uh, in Luke in the garden but that's not what God wants. So how do I how do I flip my mind? You know, someone says flip the switch. How do I flip the switch? And I don't I don't have the answer. Um, so <laughs> I'm throwing it out there to you, uh, how do I flip the switch? I think it's different in almost well in, in the majority of situations because sometimes I'm dealing with anger, sometimes I'm dealing with frustration, sometimes I'm dealing with just Vengeance, you ever been there before, right? I just, I just want to make these. Sometimes, sometimes it's it's you know, there's so many. Sometimes it's so many different things. But how do I, how do I flip the switch in in those different situations in my life? And so again, it comes back to willpower. So, am I saying willpower in the sense of saying you have to just sit there and focus? And then you know, no, I'm not. I'm not necessarily talking about that. Although you may think of it in that way, but I'm I'm thinking about how do I make God's will become my will. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you an example. Let's go back to 1 Samuel. You, you know the account. You know it so well. I'm only going to read two of the accounts. 1 Samuel chapter 24. We'll go there first. King Saul um, is pursuing David like he's mentally insane, which he was, you know, after a while, um, because he was so... Uh, so vengeful, so desirous to ensure that David wasn't king. He was so angry at David. Um, and I'm talking about, not necessarily, I'm not talking about sickness. I'm talking about just, you know, mental mental things that we struggle with and anger and frustration, etc. So, he, he, we read the Psalms and David's saying, God, you know, <laughs> I mean, when well, are you going know, to stop this guy? You know, Only God will take care of this. God will protect me, God. And, he, and he's thinking that, which is true. Um, but he has people, I'm going to First Samuel 24, who are talking to him. So he said to his men, Far be it from me, because the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. What did his men say? What is it? Verse uh, 4. And the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemies into your hand, and you shall do to him as seems good to you. And then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Okay, uh, we know what he did. But, he, but they said, Look, this is it. This is a gift from God, the man, your pursuer, he wants to hurt you, he wants to kill you, he's lied to you over and over again. You gotta kill him, David. This is God's gift. Was David tempted? Of course he was, right? His, the guy that's trying to murder him uh, in cold blood is, is delivered into his hands, but he does something. In his mind, He believes that Saul's life is precious. And we're going, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. Didn't you read the rest of the account? (laughs) Right? He was God's choice. God chose him. God changed his heart. But it wasn't long until Saul changed his heart back. Right, to evil and wicked, right? Wickedness. So, so in, in David's mind, though, David is thinking, even though Saul is chasing me and trying to kill me and may do it one day, if Saul's able to kill me, it's only because God's going to give him the strength to do it. And it is, it is God's will that I leave him be and God will ultimately kill him later. How right was David? It really doesn't matter. What matters is David changes his will And do whatever God's will is. What he believed God's will to be was the way he lived his life. So instead of killing Saul, he cuts off the edge of his garment. Verse 7 And David persuaded his men uh, with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul rose and left the cave and went on his way. So David had to not only stop himself, but he also restrained his men. No. Because how easy would it have been? Well, I can't kill him, but if you happen to kill him, That'd be okay. But he doesn't do that. right? He believes that God chose Saul for a reason to be king, which he was God's first choice. And for whatever reason, Saul was supposed to live because God wanted him to live. And so even though when I leave this cave and I show this man, I cut off the edge of his robe, he's going to lie to me and say, oh, David, you're better than me. I love you. I'm never going to kill you. But the minute he gets a hold of me, I know he's going to cut my throat. He knew that. But he changed his will into God's will by giving uh, the enemy, I'm going to call him the enemy, purpose. He gave the situation value. So think about that for just a moment. Um, We read this in the scriptures. We've read it time and time again where we find that things happen in our lives um, oftentimes things happen in our lives to do something for us. Whether it be to strengthen us, whether it be to, uh, at least this is what we can gain out of our situation, right? Uh, it strengthens us, it, it pushes us, it motivates us to do better. I mean, there's a lot of things you can get out of negativity uh, in our lives, but that takes reflection, right? So why was Saul in David's life I, you know, we can give a scripture but um, what, what could David think of other than he's God's anointed and the reason he's trying to kill me is because of what even Jonathan said what's wrong with you dad why, why are you trying to kill him he's done you no wrong so how does it feel to be the innocent person being pursued by a person who has no reason to kill you or harm you or or, you know, they're angry for no reason, or they do something to you without a cause, whatever it may be. So it's, again, it's how do I flip the switch? How do I turn my will into God's will, or how do I turn God's will, rather, into my will, where I, I'm thinking about, okay, what is this situation in front of me? Give it purpose. Place some kind of value on it. Remembering Romans 8, uh, 28, uh, God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love him, Right? So, according to his will. So, God's going to do something with this situation. I don't know what he's going to do with it, but there's something that God's going to do with it uh, because something needs to be done with it, right? And Again, and the evil or the bad didn't come from whom? It didn't come from God, right? It came from myself or circumstances in life uh, that just kind of happened, and it comes from the force of evil. But God can take really, really bad things and help us through them, Right? The next one is chapter 26 and the verse is 6. Then David answered and said uh, to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Now why would they go down there? Right? Let's think about that. Why did Saul, uh, David rather say, let's go down to the camp? So David, verse 7, And Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp, with his spears stuck in the ground, and his head in Abner, the people were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. It's always that God thing, right? God, this is God's will. This is it. Come on, David. You can do it. This is all for you. Now therefore, please let me. You don't you wouldn't do it. Last time you could have done it, you didn't do it. Let me do it this time. I will take care of it. He says, Let me strike him with a spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him the second time. I'll be merciful. One shot, and he's dead. Right? It's over. David, we can move on with our lives and and be happy finally, and serve God the way you want to, and the way God intended for us to. But David in verse 9 said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed, and be without guilt? Right? And Abishai would have said, Psh, I can. <laughs> right? I don't see him that way. But David said, I have, I have put a value in, on Saul because God has a value on Saul because when God looked down on all the men he chose Saul to be the first king so there's a purpose that Saul is still king and and I'm kind of king but I'm running around with my life and I won't become king until he dies so there's some kind of value in this and there's purpose and what I don't want to do is I don't want to live my life after killing Saul feeling guilty so getting rid of all guilt is another way to keep us from sinning, from having a, a negative attitude or a mind that is contrary to the will of God because I'm just at my, my last straw. I'm, I'm at wit's end. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm it, Living a life without guilt right, is powerful. So thinking about these things, um, what we're looking for in our lives is we're looking for peace. And so I started out with talking about a pebble or some kind of you know insect or whatever it is is bothering us how important so here's a question for us to discuss if you don't mind how important is it to deal with every issue as soon as possible It's very important because it's like a pebble in the shoe right if you don't deal with it it's going to direct your day right Nate it gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? Um, I think someone said we turn a, a molehill into a mountain, right? It gets bigger and bigger and big. If you don't deal with it, um, what, little things do what? They just pile up, is what you're talking about. They, they pile up. I I give um, uh, examples often that talk about if we are in a smaller room, obviously, and we, we throw one ink pen on the ground. Um, we can mark it, doesn't matter, and spend the rest of the day putting uh, Throwing ink pens on the ground so the room is full. How difficult is it going to be to find that one ink pen? Think about that. But if I just pick that ink pen up, the minute it's on the ground, I've saved myself a whole lifetime of heartache. But dealing with that little thing, what does it require sometimes? What was that? Okay, courage. It requires courage. What else? Effort. It requires courage. It requires effort. What else? I didn't hear you. Courage, effort, faith. Oh, what was that? Prayer. Got to have all this. All this is important. Say it. Got to get rid of your selfishness. humility. Own it. Humility. Own it. Get rid of our pride. Right? How many times have you been guilty but said, "Mm, I'm not ready to say sorry yet. You ever been there? Right? I know I'm not the only one. I've even done things and I wasn't ready to say sorry to God either. I was still angry at someone or something, right? Years ago, I remember that. And being younger growing up and just being so angry like nope I'm not ready to I'm not ready to stop being angry I want to be angry it was a choice you know until finally uh, or whatever time period it was humble myself and said I better tell God I'm sorry you know and then go get this right but it takes getting you know, I mean there's so many things that it takes but but what kind of relief do you get when you make it right right you know how many people like she said She's right. You know how many people are baptized and they come up out of the water. You don't get to hear it. James, whoever, you know, you baptize someone, you may have heard it. And they come up out of the water and the first thing they do, they go, like the burdens truly have been lifted, right? When they truly understand that being baptized, God's going to walk away all your sins and forgive you and never remember them again. There is this amazing load that comes off of their shoulders. And they go, and they're pretty excited. Oh, right. And then they stop for a minute and shake their head and get you know, and then things go through their mind. Um, there's an amazing amazing relief when you when you really truly can repent and give it to God, right? Make it right. right? Make it right. So let's think about um, just in this line of thinking here. So we love our spouses. Why do we put each other through so much grief? Right? You know we get into a fight and we're not talking for a while. You know, what's the long, no this kidding? What's the longest you've gone? <laughs> Why? You ever thought about that? Why do we put ourselves and each other through that? Right? And we waste years that you'll never get back. Days, I know it's days. We waste days or hours that we'll never get back. So what do we have to do to fix change our mindset? give it some value, right? Give your spouse some value and give them a purpose and recognize that it's true. God brought you together and give them value and give them a purpose, right? And say, hey, I'm not going to do this to God's anointed. I'm talking to Christians, right? I'm not going to do this to my spouse, even non-Christians. I'm not going to do this to my spouse because, because they're special to God, right? I give them value, and I give them a purpose she has value she has a purpose and her value is, is to God first her purpose is to God first and then to me she has value and she has purpose right and then I need to save myself from what I'm about to say or thought about saying or said it under my breath you know that kind of stuff right Save myself from feeling guilty. Value and purpose, right? Let's go to John uh, chapter, chapter sixteen. John sixteen. As a as a child of God, we we recognize something that the world um, the world doesn't think about. And let me let me give you the example, and then. we'll we'll look at the scripture. And this is the best that I can do. Uh, I have to go back to my younger years, not as much, you know, now, but my younger years. uh, In your older years, you plan for a vacation, right? You fork out the money, you pack all the bags. But when you're a kid, you just show up. I mean, right? It's time to go. You know, you start, you, you count the days down. You have something that you're looking forward to. Right? We're going to Disneyland. We're going, I could just maybe grab Bernita and say, tell us how the grandkids felt, right? And they're like, so excited, and they're dropping you crazy, though. Right? <laughs> because they're so excited, and you're like, calm down, calm down. You know, and you just can't keep them still because they're so excited. They have something to look forward to. They're really looking forward to going to this place, wherever it may be, the vacation destination. As Christians, we should also place value a purpose on where we're going. Right? To stimulate our minds and our hearts to get excited about something. Right? And stay excited every day to remind ourselves that we've got something. right? Instead of living our lives as if this is it, you know, um, you, a home burns down and the people say, that's all that I had on this earth. It's all I had. And now, my, now what will I do? And yet I've seen, you know, Christians, they say, well, you know, um, I mean, I wish it hadn't happened. Some great memories in there, but, you know, they have a different perspective. It's amazing the difference in the perspective. Uh, well, in this life also, we have a different perspective because we know where we're, we know where we're going, right? We've been focused. We've, we've been goal-oriented. Uh, we've been adjusting our goal throughout our lives. Verse 33 of John 16, it says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage I have overcome the world. We have victory in Jesus. Right? And so, a person who runs a race, and I close with this, and comes in last place, or receives no award, Versus the victors who come in first, second, and third. Those who receive the medals. Is there a difference in their attitudes? There always is, right? The one who didn't, you know, play, or maybe came in last place. And by the way, I've been there. I've come in last place before. I didn't even cross finish line one time. I gave up. I'm like, ah, forget it. <laughs> it was a track meet. I just, they moved me up in a division and that wasn't a good move. Uh, and I wasn't, uh, I wasn't even in a race. I just gave up. I jumped the fence, ran the little bleachers. <laughs> I was younger. (laughs) It it happened. I had a good talk later on. lift me up a little bit. But if I'd come in first place, been on that side of the fence too, it's a whole different attitude. As God's people, what place are we in? Every day. Remind yourself of that. We're on a winning team with children of the king act like the winners, the victors, and act like children of the king. It changes your whole perspective of life. Every day, you remind yourself, I'm on the winning team, right? If you're on the winning team, there's a reason that you've got to step up your game every single day. Because the winning team depends on you to step up your game as well, right? And so you've got to train harder, and you've got to work harder. Every day, you take it to another level. That's what we are, God's people. We win, right? Put a value on it. Put a purpose to it. Try to live our lives without being guilty today and say, you know, I just, I just gave up today. Let's not give up. All right. The lesson is yours. Thank you tonight for, uh, for your time. We do appreciate uh, your participation and allow me to talk to you tonight. Thank you.